0: Just a couple of announcements. First, uh, I've had more than one request asking when are we going to get back to our First Corinthians series. And I promise you I'm not trying to dodge any of the difficult things that come up in First Corinthians. We're going to come back to that. But the ministers and the elders, as we prayed together, we felt it was really important to launch this vision that we're in right now. So 1 Corinthians series will be returning So if you still have your Corinthians notebook, I hope you do hang on to that. Uh, It will come the second uh, Sunday in February is when we're planning on being back in it. This will be right after we conclude our vision series uh, together. Um, We are in this series and looking at our vision, and this has arisen out of lots of prayer and lots of discussion. And we are very excited about this. And so... The creative team, led by Marcia Haney and others, they thought it was time that we actually step into the world of producing a commercial for our church. And so we're going to air, for the very first time, the commercial that we're considering as part of our rollout of this vision. So I'm going to direct your uh, attention to the screen right now, if you would, and watch this video, please. Imagine a church where every member is
1: passionately wholeheartedly and recklessly calling the shots.
2: I don't know who sets the worship center temperature, but why does it have to be so cold?
1: Why do you have to be so right? Heated chairs are now being installed. This one wants a small church, but I'm afraid if it's too small, they're going to make me volunteer like crazy. And I don't stack chairs, (laughs) do I? Makes total sense. Join now and we'll let you decide the size of our church. We're millennials, and we want a church that... Say no more. Any requests you have will be granted immediately.
2: <laughs> Parking is horrible. It takes me almost six minutes to get from my car to the building. Ugh.
1: It's gonna take me six seconds to tell you a valet service is on the way. My pastor's preaching, it's all over the map. I say, oh well, I don't know, stick with the books of the Bible. We should be only exegetical Okay, next week we start John chapter one verse one. And we'll even start pronouncing that word the way you said it. Hey, I'd like this sermon to be no longer than 30 minutes. How does 15 minutes sound?
0: Hey, anybody willing to go 15 should be willing to go to 10.
1: <laughs> you drive a hard bargain. But from now on, five minute sermons it is.
0: <laughs> now you're
1: talking. Me, Church, where it's all about you.
0: Okay, so there's no confusion. That's a joke. Got some of you out there going, well, that sounds pretty good. This sermon will be longer than five minutes. But... Let's, let's just talk frankly for a moment. Who doesn't want to be a part of a me church? There's something attractive when it's all about you. And as we've been looking at this vision, the challenge of the vision that we are committed to is this idea that church can no longer simply be about me. I cannot be at the center of my own church world. And... That is really important, and I'm not sure about around the world, but I know in this country we really need to understand that. And so we've launched into this, and what these five things up here you see is what we're calling our, our commitments, because our mission hasn't changed. Our mission is still this, and I am going to put this up on the screen. Here's our mission. Our mission is to lead people into life with Jesus, now, you can put a lot of different things in this word where we have the word life. Life, it can be a relationship with Jesus. It can be into discipleship with Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. But that all means the same thing, and it means this: these three things that you've seen, and we call it the triangle. The triangle is the idea that as you come into life, there's this acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord, and you enter into life in Christ. And then... We learn how we live with one another, and that's what we're going to talk about today in this part of the commitment. And then God gives us a sense of purpose and a mission. And so once again, our mission is we exist as a church. We want to lead people into a relationship with Jesus. But that begs a question, which people, right? Who are we talking about? And that brings us to the third commitment that we have. We begin with this idea that everyone leads one, meaning that we are all witnesses all the time. There's not a place in your follower of Jesus ship where you get to say, okay, on Thursdays I'm a witness, and then on the rest of the week I'm not, or I just turn it on on Sundays. Witness is who we are, and what a witness is is somebody that says, Here's who I was before Jesus, here's what Jesus did for me, and here's the difference it's made. It is simply testifying to, giving an account of, owning up to, Jesus has come into my life and now there's a difference. And the idea is that we all want somebody else to experience that, and so God calls us to all be witnesses to lead one and someone else. And so that led us to last week, we prayed for a harvest of baptisms. The idea of acknowledging that Jesus is Lord through this act of immersion. This is somebody actually going underwater, which is a symbol of the death and the burial, and then the resurrection, the, the coming back up as a new creation. And if you if you have some questions about baptism, I got lots of great feedback last about last week's message. And so if you've still got some questions, I encourage you go online, uh, go to our YouTube page, find that sermon. And uh, share it with others. A lot of people asking, where can I, how can I share this? You'll find it on our YouTube page and our podcast. Go there and look those up and share those. Because that was very helpful to so many people. This idea of this harvest of baptisms and what it means to come into the name of Jesus. I asked for your permission to share names with me. And I got a stack of names that I've been praying for this week. And I'm so grateful for that and just what an honor it is to do that. Which brings us to... A diverse church because church can't all be about me and it can't be all about you but there's something in us though if we get real honest that wants to make it that way and so I want to show you how God works through that that tension between it can't be all about us but we're called to be something different and how God's at work in this process and it's going to f- be found through a story through an account in Acts chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open those up. And we're going to cover the entire chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to, because this is all one story that holds together. And so i want to encourage you in your study time and in your time during the week when you have some quiet time to go back through this because I believe there's some messages for us in here that's going to be very crucial to us as we go forward. Well, so Acts chapter 10, we find one more account where God's already at work at bringing someone into relationship with the one and only, that He uses someone else to reach someone else to bring someone into the relationship with His Son, Jesus. So Acts 10, we get introduced to The person that still needs to know Jesus. And so Acts 10, I'm just going to read the first six verses here. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Now, Luke, the author of Acts, is going to tell us some things about Cornelius. I want you to pay attention to the kind of person that he is. A centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send some men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. So you have somebody, and you need to note, this is not a Jewish person, so therefore they're not, would be considered a person of God. They would not be inside the circle. By our definition, they wouldn't be a church person today. But there's something about Cornelius, this Gentile, this non-Jewish person, that is very, very good and admirable. In fact, we would look on him, and we do, with great favor and respect. Something about him allowed him to fall in love with and be drawn towards this monotheistic idea that the Jewish God, the one God, is the only God. So he's leaving whatever teaching he had from his growing up, from his culture, from his world, from the idea of Rome being the empire, and he's drawn to this, and he's kind of an all-in person. I mean, he is sharing his wealth, he's sharing taking care of the poor, he's praying regularly, and he is a good, good person. But there is one problem. He still does not have a way to deal with his sin problem. Cornelius is an example and evidence that you're being good is never going to be good enough, because there is still always going to be a gap between you and what God is calling us to. Here's Cornelius. He's generous. He's kind. He's, he's respectful of Jews. The Jews have great appreciation for him, and yet He still is in need of a Savior. It is very easy for us, those of us that have been in church and following Jesus for a long time, it's very easy for us to play a comparison game. And as long as I look out at somebody else, I can look out my window and I can see somebody else out there whose life, in my opinion, doesn't measure up, I can feel good. Because by comparison, inside my head... I can come out on top of that. There are times in my life, and I'm assuming there's times in your life, when you did things that you would not want somebody else to do to you. There's a gap. There's times in my life, and perhaps there's times in your life, where you didn't reach out and help somebody else. You didn't treat somebody the way that you would want to be treated if you had been in that same situation as them. See, there's a gap. Once again, as long as I look and compare myself to somebody else, I'm okay. But the call of God is to have His righteousness and His holiness. That's the standard. There is no other standard. And so I've got, and Cornelius has, and you've got a gap. There's a sin problem, and what Cornelius lacked, the only thing that he lacked was a Savior that was going to step in and handle the sin problem that he couldn't handle. So if you're here today and all this church stuff is still new to you and Jesus is still new to you, this is the part of the sermon that's for you. You're not going to have to worry about the rest of it because this part is for you to understand that This is why Jesus came so that this gap that exists between you and God, the break in the relationship, is not up for you to get better and better and better on your own power and someday you earn the favor of God. That is not the gospel message. It's for you to realize that Jesus came just like Cornelius needed Him. And your good, your best is never going to be good enough. But Jesus is, is. and that's why he's here, and that's the message. This, This is what we're praying for in a harvest of baptisms, that more and more people would come to know that truth. And so God's already at work in this process. He's already at work in the life of Cornelius, and God's well aware, even though he's aware of Cornelius and loves Cornelius and cares for Cornelius, he knows that even someone as good as him still needs Jesus and so he wants to send someone to introduce him to the one that saves his life. And so now we, we can read on the other side of the equation. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 9. And this is where we have Peter. And you may have heard of Peter. Peter walked with Jesus for three years. He was one of the disciples. In many ways, a very much leader of the early church. And Peter was always rushing into things. He was a fisherman by trade, and so he was, he was um, what we call almost crass at times. Not very refined, but God's going to use him in a powerful way because God's working on both ends of this equation. So here's Peter, and we get a story about him. About noon, the following day, I'm in verse 9, as they were on their journey, the them is the people that Cornelius sent to go get Peter. And they were approaching the city, and Peter doesn't know about them yet. He goes up on the rooftop to pray. We would consider it a second-story balcony. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Now, here's what's in it. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Okay, I'm going to pause just one second. Just side note, if you're ever praying and God begins to speak to you and shows you a vision, my recommendation is avoid the words, no, Lord. Okay? Peter is seeing God talked to him, and God's got a message. And I'm not sure what goes on in Peter's mind. Maybe he thinks this is some kind of test, but he says, surely not, Lord. Now, remember, he's hungry, and God's offering him food. And he looks at the kind of food that you see, and what you need to understand about, you know, it's like, what's the deal with the food in the sheet, the animals in the sheet, is that these are animals that since Peter was a child, he has been taught they are off limits to eat. And if you go back into your Old Testament, God had a series of food laws where he wanted his people to eat differently than all the other people around. So there was a list of foods that were not allowed to eat. And so Peter is looking at this, and he thinks it's a test of holiness. He thinks it's a test of how pure of a Jewish person is he. And so he looks at he looks at the sheet and God says, Take, eat. He says, No, 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 no. I've never eaten these animals. And I'm not going to start today, God. So God has to repeat. Verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean you think Peter would get it by now? Verse 16, this happened three times. You think you have stubborn children. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Some perspective here. What you need to understand is what God is showing Peter, not only is it food that he's never eaten in his life. He's showing him food that actually would disgust him. See, it's real easy to read it from our side and think, think oh, wow, he just showed him a, a sheet of bacon, and suddenly suddenly, Peter's like, finally, I've been waiting. You have to understand, this is food he's not eaten, and so he's developed a revulsion to it. You know, if, if we were to go to some other country and there was an animal that we don't typically eat in this country, but they're eating in, in that country, you'd have to do a think twice before you partook. And you may even have a little bit of, mm, I'll pass. I'm really good. Peter has a, a, a basically a gut feeling against everything that he's being shown right now. And what God's about to do is he's about to change his framework. I'm not sure, we're not totally sure how to translate some of this, this idea of the sheet or the sail coming down. But let me tell you what God is showing him. God's showing him his security blanket. God is demonstrating everything inside this blanket is stuff that he goes, Nope, I got a problem with that, because he wants to wrap himself in the security blanket and say, I've got this all figured out. And part of what he's struggling with is the fact that God's about to ask him to go and preach to Gentiles who, by definition, by his Jewish definition, are unclean. And he's actually got Old Testament Bible verses to back this up. And God is now saying there's a new thing happening and they're going to be made clean and he's going to bring them in to his plan. And let's remember, Peter's the guy that in Acts chapter 2, he stands up and preaches the first gospel sermon called the Pentecost Sermon. And when you get down to Acts 2.38, he said, and they crowd, what do we need to do? He says, you need to repent and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. And in verse 39, it says, this is a message for you, your children, and all of those who are far off from God. Well, the far off, that's code for the Gentiles. Peter's struggle is, what every preacher struggles with, is the fact that we often preach better than we live. And so he knows what the right message is. He knows that God is now making room for those that they previously thought were excluded. And God sent Jesus for all, but now he's going to have to be pushed in the right direction. So right at the end of this vision the guys from Cornelius come knocking on the door and they say, we were sent. We've been asked for you to come and share the word with us. And so, picking up the story again, jump to verse 28. He said to them, this is Peter, Peter goes, he, he travels with them, goes to Cornelius' house, he walks into the house. The first thing that Cornelius does is he actually falls down on the ground and worships Peter. And Peter grabs him quickly and says, no, 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 you don't worship me. And then he looks around, sees the crowd gathered. So this this is a large group that's gathered because they're hungry for this message. And he says to this, now, how's this for an opening line? Okay, how's this? You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. This is like, hey, it's a big deal I'm here, right? You get that, right? But. God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? He says, God's showing me something here. And I'm having to go outside my comfort zone. I'm having to move past what's on my security blanket. And I'm having to get uncomfortable. And then he begins to preach. Says, verse 34, Peter begins to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Before we thought he did, and I did not show favoritism. And then he says this, but accepts from every nation. See, his world just went from here, it's all about the Jewish nation, to every nation. And the one who does right. Who fears him and does what's right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing, and here it is good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Once again, what's the one thing Cornelius lacked? Jesus. He had everything else, but he still needed Jesus, and now Peter is there. And so Peter's preaching this message along, and he was preaching. I don't know if he went so long or it was just so effective, but God gets tired of waiting for him to finish the message. Okay? Because look what happens. Pick it up in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked to stay with Peter for a few more days. So Peter's preaching, here's Jesus, they're receiving Jesus. They are hungry for Jesus, and God just stops the sermon mid, midpoint, gives them the Holy Spirit, and Peter looks at what he sees happening in front of him, and he says, we need to baptize them. And Peter's world just got expanded out. Now, you need to understand that Peter is really outside of his comfort zone and way off his security blanket. Because he has grown up thinking these people are too far from God. They don't fit the plan. They don't fit the mold. They're not our kind of people. And so, as we deal with being a diverse church, we have to realize that God is saying every nation, every tribe, every tongue... It's going to come to him. And it's not whether or not God's church will be a diverse church. Because in Revelation it says every tongue will come to confess that Jesus is Lord. It's not the question whether or not his vision is ever going to be carried out. The question is will we participate in his vision? Will we be a part of it? Are we willing to figure out what's on our security blanket? And what are we still holding on to that prevents us from experiencing what God's calling us to? When you see this commitment up here, this commitment we say to verse church, it's not because we're just going to will it into existence. What we're saying is we're committing to pray that God would begin to remove whatever is on our blanket for His name and for his, his glory, and that He would create this among us. But we've got to acknowledge some things. We've got to acknowledge that, that we have some struggles, and I've just got some of them listed here. But the first one is we still have racial tension. And it's not that long ago in many of our churches that there was outright racism that was endorsed. And this is alive and well in our world today and the struggle we face. And this is is a place where I believe the church can have one of its greatest voices in our world today because we can be a witness and a testimony. In fact, you're going to see this all throughout your New Testament. That we can have a voice that speaks and says, The gospel brings down walls. In fact, if you read Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament close enough, this was the question that he hung his entire ministry on. Is the gospel powerful enough to bring down the walls that separate us or not? And you have to understand, it's not simply just a religious division. When you talk about the Jewish person and the Gentile person. You're talking about the Jewish person, and one of the ways that they worshipped was when they came together and they had a meal, and there was all of these practices and these habits and these traditions built into their meals and the meals were very significant, very significant. When the Gentiles got together and had a meal, it was a party. Well, sometimes party and worship don't seem to fit. I mean, it was a drunken party. And so, you have to understand, bringing these two things together, this wasn't like, like, okay, well, just got to figure out a way to be nice to each other. This was two different worldviews at play here. And yet Paul says, if we don't have a gospel that can bring down these walls, we don't have a gospel at all. So the next one's political. And the idea that there's people that would vote different than us, or they watch a different news station than us. And we just throw up our hands and go, how can they think that way? How can they believe that way? It's just crazy. And, and I hear it from both sides. One of the things, one of the ways that Satan's divided the church lately, it's incredible because I know that there's, he's always coming up with some new challenges for the church. It's just this whole thing on where we are with the pandemic and where we are with COVID. And I've watched Christian brothers and sisters fight about that. And based on what you believe about vaccines or not vaccines or masks or not masks or whatever, suddenly Christians, followers of Jesus, are divided about that. The gospel must be bigger than that. Maybe it's a socioeconomic. Well, this is a real one. We'll hang out with people, but most of them we're going to feel very comfortable inside of a certain range. We're going to feel uncomfortable with people much richer than us or uncomfortable with people much poorer than us. And so we, we develop unintentionally, but we develop these security blankets around us. And the last one's a big struggle too, generational. The generational struggles that goes on inside churches, the church is the last institution that I'm aware of that represents and participates in all generations across the spectrum, from the womb to the tomb. And I have watched some of the greatest fights go on between when one generation is needing something and another generation doesn't want to cede it to them. And it may come down as in worship preferences, song selection. It may come down in all these different ones, but we so want to hang on to our security blanket. And I understand that because the church needs to be a place that encourages you and builds you up and you can go... And you can find comfort and encouragement there. The problem is, though, we've turned the church into something that says, I need it to be just the way I need it. Me, church, I need it to be so very familiar to me that I can find great comfort and ease there in its familiarity. But what you have to understand is when the church first came on the scene, it did anything but that. Because it disrupted everything else that was going on. It was radically new. And it called people out of one life into a brand new life with Jesus. And so unfortunately, what it seems like is we'll fall back into some temptations. And here's the struggle. The struggle is that we so long, I mean, we'll give lip service, like Peter, we'll give lip service to, yes, this is for all the nations, yes, we want everybody in our church. But if we're not careful, what we really love the most is the status quo. And the mission of God gets pushed to the side. Many love the status quo more than the mission. Because we bring our biases. We, we have these attitudes toward each other. We, we bring our traditions that we expect and demand to see. or Maybe we bring our sin. And it gets in the way. And because I struggle with one kind of sin and you struggle with a different kind of sin, I can judge yours and not have to face mine. And it's easier if I can focus on you and push you out and do it with you because that's the sin and mine's the an issue. You ever notice that? Everybody else has sin, but I have issues. Because God understands my issues. Because I come by them legitimately. The rest of you, you're just sinners. That's why I've got job security. Just making sure you're still with me. If we're going to be a diverse church, we've got to let go of the security blanket. And it means there's some things it's not going to be about you not going to be about me. It's not going to be me, church. It's going to be Jesus' church. And Jesus, and boy, I hope this doesn't hurt your feelings, but you need to know it. Jesus is not concerned about your comfort zone. He's concerned about your salvation. And those two things don't always go together. We'll have, it's not unusual for me to, to get an email occasionally. It says, I got a problem with what we did in worship today, or the song selection was way off, or the sermon was no good. And I, I, I'll get these, these emails, and I remember back to what one of my professors, you may know him, Randy Harris, who before he became a full-time professor, preached every week at a church in Nashville. And one day he was just sharing with us, and he talked about some of the complaints. And, and he, said, he said, you know, it was my goal to only hack off about a the third of the church on any given week. So my, Then my second goal was just to make sure it wasn't the same third every week. You know, kind of rotate it around. And so that way if somebody complained, I could just say, oh, it's not your week. Come back next week, that may be yours. And I've never forgot that, and I think that just so much applies to us right now. So, here, I've got a request for you. If you're here on Easter Sunday, maybe today, and you got a sense of that wasn't for me, that didn't fit my style, that didn't fit my preference. Here's the challenge. Would you be willing in that moment when you realize that none of it's connecting with you for whatever reason? Would you be willing to say a prayer? Would you be willing to say a prayer that says, God, I'm praying for whoever today is for. And would you do a work in their life? And would you use this song, this message, this day, this prayer, this service, to bring them into your family. Because I'm going to celebrate with that. Start praying that prayer. Strap in. This is the prayer that when the young generation wants a certain kind of song and the older generation wants a different kind of song, we're going to be fine. When folks that have a different political stance, or a different skin color, or a different bank account, and we start doing some things to let them know you're welcome here and you belong here, we're going to be fine, because God will answer that prayer. So what I want to do is I'm going to invite one of our shepherds up, Tim Weddle, and we've been concluding each of these messages with a prayer to pray over this part, this commitment of the vision. But, like we did last week, I'm going to make a challenge for you. As we bow our heads, we're going to start a prayer, and then we're going to leave about 25 seconds of silence for you to have a conversation with God. And here's the question I want you to ask and have a conversation with God What's still in your blanket? What do you still need to face? Is it a bias? Is it a tradition? Is it a sin? And let God reveal that to you. And I'm just going to tell you, it's a dangerous prayer to pray. So, if you would, let's bow our heads, please. Father, <clears throat> as we begin this prayer, please show us what we're still holding on to.
2: Father, you know that the prayers we've been praying, we've been praying for a diverse church, not for hours, not for days, not for weeks, but for years. We have prayed this prayer often. We ask that you bless us to bring us folks that don't look like us that don't think like us that don't come from the same background that may even not even know you we've asked you to bring those to us to help us seek those out who are in true need of you And at the same time father we've been praying for change us prepare us because we know that there will be struggles. We know that there will be tough times. We know that there will be fantastic times further than we could ever think about. We know that there will be lots and lots of conversations about why and how. And I don't believe that because that's not what the world is. When you ask us, we ask that you prepare us for all of that. It's not something we take lightly. It's not something that is the latest fad. It's truly been on our hearts for years and years and years. Not because we want to be this great church. It's because we want to reach out into the world. To reach the folks who really need you and to make disciples of them so that their lives can be better and that they have a chance to one day Lord be in heaven with you and all the saints we ask that you bless us and grace us with this and strengthen us to be bold and outreaching to be soft and soft-spoken when needed be, to be firm when it calls for it, but to always be loving, to have the kind of eyes to see people that how Jesus saw them, not how society or what the world tells us they are. We would like to see your children as you see them. And we ask this all through Jesus' name. Amen.